Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The strange but true story featured on this podcast contains details some people may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Chaya Samuel and things are about to get weird. Hi there, welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 19 of Things Are About To Get Weird. A big thank you for joining me today. I know it's that strange time between Christmas Day and New Year at the moment, when if you're off work or taking a break from studying, you generally have no clue what day of the week it is or what's going on. But whatever you're up to, I hope you're managing to get some lovely relaxation time in ahead of the new year. Also, I would love to know whether anyone received any weird and wonderful Christmas presents. I don't know why, but I love it when I ask someone if they had anything nice for their birthday or Christmas and they answer with something totally off the wall. Like one time, my dad got me these two empty antique Victorian glass medicine bottles and they're genuinely two of my most prized possessions. So let me know if you were surprised with anything magnificently strange for Christmas this year. I would genuinely love to know. I could not be more excited about today's strange but true story or should I say strange but true stories plural. The topic of bizarrely accurate predictions that have come from works of fiction has always fascinated me. And one particular prediction by the writer and poet Edgar Allan Poe has been on my list of episode ideas since before the podcast even launched. But the more I looked into the subject, the more examples I stumbled across of events described in literary works later taking place for real. So I'll be sure to tell you about some additional fascinating ones later in the episode. Just a quick warning that this first story does contain mentions of cannibalism. I'll be as brief as I can when we get to that part, but I did want to let you know before we dive in. With that said, let's head all the way back to July of 1838. At the time, American writer Edgar Allan Poe was relatively unknown outside of literary circles. His short stories had gained some limited recognition, and when he decided to publish his first and only complete novel in 1838, his status, as far as the general public were concerned, didn't change all that much. It wasn't until the publication of his poem The Raven in 1845 that Edgar would finally become a household name, but nevertheless, the release of his novel, entitled The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, would mark a point in his career that the history books would remark upon for decades to come. Not just because of the fame that he would later achieve, but because 46 years after it was first printed, one of the most disturbing plot points in the novel would end up being mirrored in real life in the most horrifying way. And if you've ever read any of Poe's work or know much about some of his disturbing life choices and mysterious death, you begin to get a sense that he was never a stranger to the sinister. 
in the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, which has been described by The Guardian as a classic adventure story with disturbing supernatural elements that has fascinated and influenced many subsequent writers. We follow the titular character, Arthur Pym, as he navigates a whole host of misadventures at sea aboard a vessel called the Grampus. The plot features everything from a shipwreck to a mutiny, although at one point things take a sharp and even darker turn. The events happen something like this. Arthur is aboard a whaling ship alongside three others. His friend, Augustus Barnard, who stowed him away on the voyage, and the two remaining crew members following the aforementioned mutiny and horrendous storm. These two men are named Dirk Peters and Richard Parker. The storm had left the ship in tatters, and the four men find themselves surviving off next to no food or water. With their supplies diminished, they are forced to make an unimaginable decision. Do they give in to their fate to perish at sea from hunger and thirst? Or make the choice to sacrifice one crew member to save the rest? I think you know where this is going. Poe describes how the men drew straws to determine which of them would be the unfortunate soul to lose his life to save his crewmates, with the eventual choice coming down to Arthur Pym and Richard Parker. The protagonist of the story survives and poor Richard is killed and eaten by the remaining three. This is a bit graphic, so feel free to skip forward a few seconds, but the novel details how Richard is stabbed in the back by Dirk Peters before the starving crew members remove his head, hands, feet and innards before throwing them overboard and consuming him over the course of a few days. Yikes. Poe also goes on to write about how the men later found a tortoise, which they kept and later slaughtered to help sustain them. Keep that in mind. Now, of course, when you're reading about something like this in a work of fiction or seeing it play out in a film, there's a certain barrier that you have as you know the events have been created in the writer's imagination. I mean, for me, the Hannibal Lecter books and films are some of my all-time favourites because they're mesmerising from a psychology perspective, so I can kind of allow my mind to skip over the cannibalism details because I know it's just part of a fictional story. But what if I told you that not only did this event in Poe's novel end up being reflected in a shockingly similar real-life incident, but that some details of it were so eerily coincidental that it truly makes you question whether there was some kind of psychic prediction at play? Prepare yourselves as we make the transition from grim invention to deeply disturbing true crime. In 1884, a small boat, actually described as a yacht named the Mignonette, set sail on a voyage from England to Australia. It appears that the journey was doomed from the start. In the years since, many comments have been made about how a boat like this was entirely unsuited to a trip of this duration, and sadly, disaster would end up striking the vessel. After being caught up in a harrowing storm, the ship sustained awful damage and the small crew, made up of four men, just like in the novel, had to abandon their sinking ship and escape from the wreckage in a lifeboat. 
They had no supplies and very few prospects of finding any as they drifted along in the vast ocean. Unlike Poe's fictional crew, they didn't happen to come across a tortoise in their search for food, but they did find a turtle and were able to eat the unfortunate creature. But this ration was never going to last long shared between the four men. A young 17-year-old member of the crew quickly became desperate and feeling that he was gradually fading away due to his extreme thirst, he took drastic action. After falling overboard from the lifeboat at one point and hitting the water, he was unable to stop his natural instinct from taking over. He took a large drink of the salty seawater, which resulted in him becoming very unwell. As the account goes, his three crewmates watched him suffering and becoming more and more ill until they ended up taking some unfathomable action. With the hope of survival fading, they chose to take the young lad's life and this is gruesome, but they actually drank his blood to alleviate their thirst. I know, it's absolutely horrible. And what was the name of this young sailor who'd boarded the Mignonette 46 years after Poe wrote about the events aboard the Grampus? Richard Parker. The first time I heard about this wild coincidence, I had to read the story a few times over to make sure I'd got it right, but it is true. The series of events actually gets even darker, as just two days after killing and consuming Richard, the surviving men were actually rescued by a passing German ship. It's honestly infuriating to think about. But upon being saved and returned home to England, questions were immediately raised about their missing crewmate. After revealing the grisly details of what they had resorted to in order to be standing there telling their tale, the three men, Captain Dudley, Mr Stevens and Mr Brooks, were arrested and put on trial for murder. This would end up being Britain's last ever trial for anyone accused of cannibalism at sea, and it certainly caused a stir. The captain and Mr Stevens were initially sentenced to death for their crime, but this sentence was eventually reduced to just six months in prison and Mr Brooks was acquitted. It seems like a bit of a leap from death to six months in prison, but I'm sure it was a very legally intricate undertaking given the circumstances. Richard actually has a tombstone at the Jesus Chapel in Pear Tree Gardens, which is in Southampton, and the inscription on the stone reads... To the memory of Richard Parker, aged 17, who died at sea July the 25th, 1884, after 19 days dreadful suffering in an open boat in the tropics, having been wrecked in the yacht Mignonette. Interestingly, years after the publication of his book featuring the fictional Richard Parker, Edgar Allan Poe actually ended up agreeing with critics who said that the tale was far-fetched, calling it a, quote, silly little book. Little did he know that 35 years after his death, the story that formed in his imagination would play out in the most terrible way in real life. Or if you're a believer in the supernatural or paranormal, or even just in the idea that some people have psychic abilities, did Poe truly predict or foresee this twisted event? Every logical part of me wants to believe that it was just 100% a weird coincidence, 
but I can't help but imagine that there's something more to this. And the more I looked into Poe's writings, the more odd details emerged. For example, a fantastic BBC culture feature about the apparent mignonette prediction dives into some of his other prophecies, explaining that, quote, Poe did display a marked gift for prescience. For example, his 1840 story, The Businessman, features a narrator who survived a traumatic head injury in boyhood and leads a life of obsessive order interrupted by outbursts of violence. Eight years later, railway employee Phineas Gage had a large iron spike sliced through his skull. He lived, but with a radically changed personality, giving doctors their first glimpse of the role that the frontal lobe plays in social cognition. Their diagnosis of frontal lobe syndrome was notably similar to Poe's imaginings. If this alone wasn't fascinating enough, the article goes on to say, Likewise, his final work, Eureka, a delirious non-fiction prose poem dedicated to Alexander von Humboldt, succeeded in anticipating a number of 20th century scientific theories and discoveries, including the Big Bang. All of this is pretty mind-blowing, but things only become stranger when you consider that Poe was anything but the only writer to have penned a tale that would later appear to come true. We're going to jump back even further in history to 1726, when writer Jonathan Swift published what would become one of the most recognisable, classic works of literature in history, Gulliver's Travels. It was, of course, a work of satire, and aspects of his writing poked fun at the scientists of the time and how absurd some of their research appeared to the rest of the population. In the book, Gulliver visits a floating island called Laputia, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is home to a host of wacky scientists conducting all kinds of off-the-wall experiments. Describing the work of the astronomers Gulliver found on the island, Jonathan Swift wrote this passage. They have likewise discovered two lesser stars, or satellites, which revolve around Mars, whereof the innermost is distant from the centre of the primary exactly three of his diameter, with the outermost five. The former revolves in the space of ten hours, and the latter in twenty-one and a half. Now, if any of you are into space or astronomy, you may be thinking, well, yes, Chayas, he's just describing the two moons of Mars. Only thing is, the two moons of Mars weren't discovered until over 150 years after Gulliver's Travels was published. Not only did Swift appear to predict the existence of the moons, but scientists have noted that the way he wrote about their orbital periods were relatively accurate too. Not identical, but similar enough to be considered very strange. After their discovery, a crater on one of the moons was named after Swift, which I thought was very sweet. And although many modern scientists like to brush off any suggestions that the author could have been truly psychic or privy to some kind of otherworldly information that meant he was able to make the prediction, I think this one is just plain strange. Especially when you remember that the year was 1726. The concept of astronomy wasn't new, of course, it has ancient origins, but this kind of accuracy in a book that is still so popular to this day is baffling. 
Now, if I were to tell you of an event where a ship described as the largest and grandest of its time, as well as unsinkable, strikes an iceberg during a voyage one night in April, with many passengers losing their lives due to a lack of lifeboats on board, what would you think I was talking about? I'm betting that most people would of course say the Titanic. It's arguably the most famous ship sinking of all time and feels like the kind of disaster that would have been completely unpredictable given all of the safety claims made about the vessel beforehand. But what if I told you that the tragedy I just described wasn't about the Titanic at all? but rather the fictional events of a book published 14 years before the Titanic's maiden voyage. In 1898, US writer Morgan Robertson penned a novella entitled Futility, which describes how this huge ocean liner is travelling at full steam through the North Atlantic when a watchman shouts out, iceberg before the ship strikes it and catastrophe ensues. And what was the name given to the ship in futility? The Titan. After the Titanic sank in 1912, people who had previously read Futility immediately began theorising that Morgan Robertson must be some kind of psychic or clairvoyant, and newspapers like the Boston Globe even began serialising the novel, presenting it as some kind of unbelievable prophecy. This is another one of those stories that I had to triple check was true before I included it in this episode because the sheer number of similarities are absolutely wild. Although the sinking of the Titan isn't the main plot point of the novel, the fact that it was included at all is still totally bizarre. Morgan Robertson was, as you can imagine, the source of much speculation as to whether he was in fact truly psychic, but he ended up shying away from the claims. When asked whether he had abilities to predict the future, he's quoted as saying, no. I know what I'm writing about, that's all. And it's true that he did have a vast amount of knowledge of maritime practices and the way that ships ran, so it's not as if he plucked the details of how a disaster like this would play out if it should ever happen purely from his imagination, but to me this is still incredibly eerie, and it truly makes me question how something could be foreshadowed so accurately. If you fancy reading the novella, it's now known as The wreck of the titan or futility. Next, step back with me just a couple of years to the Covid lockdowns of 2020. It was obviously a completely bizarre time, where many of us were isolated from our friends and families and had to keep in touch with them via video calls. Not to mention if people had jobs where they were asked to work from home, Hours upon hours were spent in meetings on Zoom or Teams calls, and for some this is still going on to this day, and even if we're not constantly quarantining in our homes with only video calls for meaningful contact with the outside world, it's wild to think how much the world has changed even when compared to, say, 2019. So who could have imagined that a science fiction novella published back in 1909 would end up accurately describing some of the ways our lives looked during the 2020 lockdown, down to the video technology many of us relied on to communicate with those outside of our bubbles. The novella The Machine Stops by E.M. Forster describes a futuristic world that bears some weird similarities to life in the pandemic. 
although not because of a virus, the novella details the way that people live alone in their homes, isolated from others, communicating through a messaging system that could be considered similar to WhatsApp, plus a Zoom-like video call setup. In a brilliant BBC review of the book by Will Gompertz, which he actually wrote during the 2020 lockdown, he highlights the book's description of how the clumsy system of public gatherings had long since been abandoned, and notes that there's some kind of computer system that helps humans function in their everyday lives, which is akin to something like an Alexa. In the piece, Will also mentions that The Machine Stops seems to predict some of the ways that social media has impacted the way that ideas and information are shared. He quoted this intriguing line from the book, in certain directions, human intercourse has advanced enormously, adding, but humanity in its desire for comfort had overreached itself. It had exploited the riches of nature too far. Quietly and complacently, it was sinking into decadence and progress had come to mean progress of the machine. I would love to know what E.M. Forster would make of our world in 2022. There are also details in the novella about how citizens had to ask for permission to go outside and get away from the machine, and if you did so, you'd have to wear a respirator as the natural conditions of the world had become inhospitable to human life. I can't imagine how weird it must have been to stumble across this book during lockdown. In a way, I'm glad I didn't, as the world felt eerie enough during that time, and I think this might have freaked me out in a bad way. But after living with COVID for a few years now, I think it would be an incredibly interesting and totally wild read. Finally, we have the example of a work by the man widely regarded as the father of science fiction, Mr. H.G. Wells. When a science fiction writer comes up with an idea within a story that ends up materialising at some point in the future, it's definitely striking, but ultimately you could argue that if their job is to write about the future and imagine what it could be like and all of the advancements that might have happened, it's not completely out of the question that every now and again someone could make an accurate prediction. But when a forecast is made that winds up being accurate down to the very year it emerges, that's when I think we end up crossing over into the extraordinary. In his 1914 novel The World Set Free, which is set in the 1950s, Wells describes the scientific discovery of how to extract energy from an atom as having happened in 1933. And what should happen when 1933 did come around, but the conception of the idea behind the nuclear chain reaction by the physicist and inventor Leo Szilard. And this wasn't all. Wells went further in his imaginings of what this scientific revelation could mean, writing about a new type of weapon that could explode indefinitely and even be dropped from the sky, coining the term atomic bomb. Of course, Wells didn't imagine all of this out of nowhere, as he was known to have ongoing fascinations with science and technology and all of the latest discoveries in those fields. Now, it transpired that Leo Szilard had read The World Set Free the year before he made his determination about chain reactions, later noting that Wells showed him, quote, what the liberation of atomic energy on a large scale would mean. But because the world set free details the potential destruction that could be caused should atomic bombs be detonated, 
Szilard was incredibly wary about his discovery. In his 1968 memoir, he wrote, knowing what it would mean, and I knew because I had read H.G. Wells, I did not want this patent to become public. And by all accounts, Szilard was tormented by the implications of his discovery. I think this example is one of the strangest of all because there's a real debate to be had over whether it was genuinely a coincidental literary prediction or whether this idea served as a true jumping off point for future scientists. There have been many articles written over the years that explore whether H.G. Wells played a real and tangible part in the realisation of the science behind the atomic bomb, and whilst I think it was unintentional, I think there's a real case to be made for this. Of course, I am far from being a scientist myself, and my understanding of the situation is very surface level, but it's intrigued me so much that I'd love to understand the intricacies of it all a little more. The finer details aside, there's no doubt that the whole thing is plain odd, and a testament to the power of the written word, even when it's presented in a work of fiction. And of course, I haven't even mentioned Nostradamus and his 1555 book of predictions. I sometimes feel like this has become a bit too linked with tabloid newspapers and clickbait headlines now, and whilst there are undoubtedly some astonishing events foretold in the book, I wanted to focus on works of fiction for this episode. If anyone is interested in a balanced episode dedicated to Nostradamus and his writings though, please do let me know as there's enough material on the topic to fill an entire series of episodes. But I hope you found this episode as mind-boggling as I did when I was researching everything, and if you want to find out more, there are dozens more examples I didn't even get to today. You can find these weird predictions scattered through sci-fi and political novels throughout the decades, and each one is as uncanny as the next. And it's not just literature either, there are plenty of instances where films and TV shows have correctly envisioned certain things from the future. One that comes to mind is a 1976 film called The Network that I studied in an acting class last year. There's a news anchor character who has a kind of breakdown during a live broadcast and delivers this incredible, passionate monologue about how our world is getting smaller with the more bad news we consume, and he talks about how things are out of control in our towns and cities and how no one knows what to do about it anymore, so we're just faced with a constant pile-on of awful information. From a 2022 perspective, this is already a little chilling, but later in the movie things get even darker. This news anchor's outburst caused a big boost in the show's ratings, but after they started to dwindle again, we see the extreme lengths that the network will go to to get them back up, eventually building to the point that they assassinate him live on air. Personally, I see it as an exaggerated yet very strange prediction of not only things like news and media outlets going to increasing extremes to get the story, with everything from the phone hacking scandal to the rise of ridiculous clickbait, but also in relation to individuals on social media too. How many stories have we heard of someone doing something dangerous or plain ridiculous for views on Instagram or TikTok, only to end up dying or being horribly injured in the process. Or even on a less extreme note, 
How often do we see people resorting to shock tactics to get more eyes on the content they're producing, even if it's just by saying something controversial or posting a misleading YouTube thumbnail? I always think of the network as being really ahead of its time, and whilst the details of this example aren't as specific as others in this episode, I thought it was a poignant note to end on. I guess it's ultimately up to us as individuals to decide whether these are true coincidences or whether some of history's most renowned authors did have abilities to see into the future. Whichever side of the argument you land on, I would love to know your thoughts on today's stories. Which one of them did you find strangest of all? Is there one that really stands out most to you? As always, please do get in touch and let me know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A huge thank you for joining me today. If you are listening between Christmas and New Year, I appreciate you taking the time out to hang out with me on the podcast today. And if you're here at a later date, I am so happy that you've stumbled across this episode. As this is our final episode of 2022, I wanted to take the opportunity to tell you how much I truly appreciate your support this year. I had wanted to launch this podcast for so long, and after finally taking the plunge in September, it surpassed every expectation I had. I'm so excited to continue posting episodes each Wednesday into 2023 and beyond, and growing this awesome community that we've created too. As I say, I'm so excited to hear your thoughts on the stories from this episode, so if you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook, both through the main podcast page and also the private discussion group too. On Instagram, our handle is at Things Get Weird Podcast, and on Twitter, it's at About To Get Weird. You can also pop me an email if you prefer to. The address is Things Get Weird Podcast at gmail.com. A quick shout out to the sources that helped me put together my research for today's episode. For the Edgar Allan Poe part, there was a great section of the poemuseum.org website, as well as features on maritimeviews.co.uk and ripley's.com, as well as a 2013 article from The Guardian and that great BBC feature from September 2019. Mentalfloss.com and Listverse were also super helpful when I was gathering together the jumping off points for the different examples. There were those great pieces from the BBC that I mentioned about the machine stops and the world set free, as well as a Time magazine piece about the Titan and the Titanic plus a brilliant article from theness.com. If you have enjoyed the podcast this year, a rating or review wherever you listen is always massively appreciated. I am genuinely so moved whenever I read a written review from a listener. It makes all of the long hours of research and editing feel even more worthwhile, so a big thank you. Even a quick star rating on Spotify that only takes a couple of seconds really makes my day, so thank you in advance to anyone who does give me a little seal of approval on their podcast player of choice. Until next time, take care of yourself and others and keep it weird, but the good kind of weird. Thank you.